Let's pray together one more time as we uh, open the word of the Lord. God, we do thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. There are so many ways where we fall short, where we become so self-reliant that we rest in our strength, in our giftedness, in our talents, and fail to truly rest in you in the truth of what you've revealed to us in your word we fail to rest in your grace so God we pray that you would show us mercy Lord reveal to us our sin reveal to us our unbelief reveal to us those things in our lives that are out of alignment with you. And God, I pray that you would speak as we open your word together, as we consider what you've written here. Lord, let the truth of your word and that still small voice of your spirit move in our midst, move in our minds and our hearts that we might fully become the people that you're calling us to be. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to take you back a little bit as we open up the book of John today and and give you a little insight into the middle schooler who was Joel Gilbert. Um, When I was in middle school, I, I had only lived in Maryland a couple of years, and I was a bit of what you might call an omnivert. Um, and, and I know that most people, there's introverts and there's extroverts and then there's omniverts. There's people who like to be by themselves and don't mind hanging out with other people. And so during middle school, I was that kind of guy. I, would, I wouldn't mind hanging out at home, watching TV, playing video games with my brother or without my brother. Um, but I also wouldn't mind hanging out with Steve and Aaron. And we would go and play football at Steve's house. He liked to have me on the team because I was big. And he liked to have Aaron out there on his, on his grass because Aaron was fast. And, uh, but Aaron and I also had another thing in common in that we liked to skate. I wish I could say I could still skate to keep up with some of you guys who do, but I cannot. Um, my, my son got those gifts and I have since lost them. But when, I was, when we were in like 7th or 8th grade, a new kid moved onto our street and his name was Brett. And Brett was cool because he had all the same likes that all of us did, and then some. You see, Brett was from Texas. And as you know, everything is bigger in Texas. So Brett, as an eighth grader, was already over six feet tall. And so, of course, Steve loved having Brett on his team because he's like the, the perfect tight end for football. And he liked to skate. I mean, being a tall guy and he big feet, he could skate with the best of us. Um, he loved to play basketball because he had those huge hands at a tall height. He was just good at everything. There's one other thing that he and I loved to do, and that was to break dance. And so we would pull out cardboard. Those of you guys who are uh, over, under the age of 40 may not know what break dancing is, but it was a bad idea back then. But we would pull out cardboard, and we would put it on Brett's driveway, and he could actually spin on his head. I never got brave enough to do that, so I would just kind of move around and, and do the worm, which looked more like a dead fish. <laughs> 
And Brett and I, we looked forward to, we had, you know, imagined going to Appleton High School and playing football and, and just kind of enjoying high school life together. And, and then our paths diverged because in eighth grade I was realizing I also wanted to change in my education. And so I, I, we parted ways in ninth grade. But so Brett was, he was just, he was probably one of my best friends, at least in the neighborhood. And I love so many things about Brett. In fact, one of the things that we would do is we'd go over to his house after school some days and we'd do homework together. Yes, we would actually do homework. And Brett, being a Texan, I'm not sure he could really call himself a real Texan because he loved Prince. And, and Prince, when he was known as Prince before he was formally known as Prince, he loved Prince. So we would sit down there and do homework and listen to Purple Rain. And, and I didn't get it. I didn't like it, but I liked Brett. So we would, we would do homework together. But there was one thing that, that, I, uh, that always kind of bothered me about Brett. And, and if, I, if I'm honest, it's because I was seeing it in me, too. You see, Brett would often grumble about his parents, especially his mom. You see, Brett was an only child, so he got all the love and he got all the discipline. He couldn't deflect any of it to anybody else. He couldn't blame anybody. And so his mom wanted the best for Brett. And so he would have Brett make beds and clean kitchens and do chores and all these kind of things. And Brett was like, I hate it that my mom makes me do this. But how many of us are a bit like Brett and we realize that our moms say those things to try to help us become the men and women we're supposed to be and we resent them for it and yet 20 years down the road we're like, Mom, I'm grateful you were there. So moms on Mother's Day, thank you for putting up with all of our grumbling and for making us do, making us clean the toilet making us do those things that we would otherwise resent because obviously, I mean, I I think we are better because of it. Thank you for being, for showing tough love, moms, and thank you for showing fun love. I understand there are some children of a certain mom who are getting to go see a movie today. That is some fun love. But if we step back and and think about what what about Jesus... See, we recognize that there are times when we want to think about Jesus in this just glorious, oh, he's such a peace-loving guy. He had all these great things to say. And if only we would obey and and just everything would be nice and hunky-dory. And yet, as we saw last week and as Charlotte read, Jesus will say some hard things. And when he says these hard things, when he says these difficult things, do we resent him do we obey him do we keep following do we grumble like we did to our moms even if we don't like it well today we're going to get a glimpse at the way that some people respond to jesus you see i think that there are fair weather fans we could call them groupies who, who kind of follow Jesus when it's comfortable, and then when it gets a little bit hard, oh, I'm out of here. And then there are the true faithful followers. There are some who like the idea of Jesus, and there are others who truly believe. And the question is, which one are you, and which one am I? How will we respond when things get challenging, when Jesus says that thing that we're like, oh, 
So today we're continuing our study in the book of John. If you have your copy of God's Word and want to open to John chapter 6, we're going to mainly look at uh, verses 60 to 71. But like any good Netflix show, we were talking about it with the band this morning. If you notice when you watch TV shows, they always tell you what happened before. So we're going to take a little step back for all of us to remember what we watched last week um, and what we, what we considered but see, if you remember, in the last couple of weeks, we, we found Jesus in and around Galilee, and it was near the Passover, and he had just spent time with about 5,000 people who were hungry. And having just a handful of loaves of bread and a handful of fish, he fed over 5,000 people, and they were amazed, and they were ready to make him king. And so Jesus sent his disciples away. He dismissed all those people who went up on a mountain to pray. And then he went and caught up with his disciples, not going around the lake, but walking across the water. And he began to amaze his disciples, began to amaze all the people who were like, what? How did this guy get there? And so the next day, Jesus engages this crowd that had just been fed. And now they raced around the northern part of, of the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. And they found Jesus there. And they said, Jesus, why? How did you get here? And they wanted to know. And then he laid down the gauntlet. And he said some things that challenged people to consider who he really is. John six fifty one says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then he ramped it up even more. In verse 53, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that we can take Jesus' words in one of three ways. We can take it literally, meaning he's calling for some sort of holy cannibalism, which is impractical and frankly gross. We can take it metaphorically, causing us to think that he's, he's, he's pointing forward to the Lord's Supper, telling us, hey, you need to eat my bread, eat my flesh in this piece of bread and drink my blood in this cup. And yet we, we talked last week how it can't be metaphorical because it'd be inconsistent with the entire message of the rest of the book of John because John was all about belief and not about sacraments. Which leads us to a final way to think about it and then that is spiritually. Which would mean that he's saying these words. While he's saying this, he's meaning to eat his flesh and drink his blood spiritually as an act of faith, meaning that there's something in his life that is worth entrusting our lives to as though it is our very nourishment. And I'm not going to lie, Jesus' words here are hard and tough. And there are a lot of difficult and challenging things that we find throughout Scripture. 
But because we live in a fallen world and a sinful world, we don't always understand the ways of God. And and God told us that. In Isaiah chapter 55, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we have to recognize when the holiness of God runs counter to our fallenness, we have a decision to make. Will we stay in our fallen state and do things our way? Or are we going to trust that maybe God sees something different? And are we going to follow Him? And I think ultimately, that's what they're getting at today. And so if you want to follow along in your, in your outlines and your bulletin, here's where the notes really begin. We could really ask this another way, and that is when believing gets tough, what will we do? You see, faith has its fair share of challenges. If you've ever looked at or read the book of Job, you know that here's a man who experienced suffering. Here's a man who experienced some horrible things. And we don't, he doesn't get a resolution to it in the end. But what he finds is that God is still God and that he is not. We don't. There's a part of it that feels uncomfortable. And yet we have to rest in knowing that God knows what he's doing. And even as we saw in these words that Jesus said in talking about eating his flesh, we have to recognize that Jesus is saying things to draw us out, to call us to live the life that he modeled for us. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? See, think about these words from that first century perspective. We, we see a cross as a means of decoration. We might wear it around our neck or get it tattooed on our arms. It, it, it's, it's a matter of, of kind of a symbol of, of Christianity. But for those first century believers, they often saw the cross as a means of crucifixion. We might equate that to an, to an electric chair or to a guillotine or to a hangman's noose. It was offensive to them to think, a cross? What? That's a means of death for me. And yet the whole idea, yet this attitude is, and the lifestyle is what Jesus is calling us to and calling his followers to. Not to, not to physically die daily, but to be willing to lay down our, our rights, our preferences, our opinions, our desires for him. You see, in these words in the, in the Gospel of Luke, saving and losing seem to be completely mixed up. How can you save your life by losing it and lose your life by saving it? It's Jesus, you're, you're mixing up your sentence, and yet he's not. He's talking about a bigger perspective and an eternal one. And yet even today, think about this. Even today, our, our, our faith faces challenges probably more today than we've I would say them we've ever seen before, but there's been a lot of history that I am not privy to. 
See, God has a way of doing things, and He has His standards, but the world looks at His standards and scoffs. I mean, think about this just briefly. We look at morality. Our world wants sex without commitment with whomever, and yet God's standard is that sex is to be reserved for a husband and a wife in the covenant of marriage. And yet even in just saying those words, if I were to pull that out and quote it exactly where it is in Scripture, it would be considered a microaggression today. Maybe not even micro, maybe just a blatant aggression. The question is, will we seek to live out God's standard in a loving and compassionate way, or will we scoff at God's design and endorse all that the world desires? My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Or think about this, in salvation, our, our world would say that all roads lead to God or, or some form of salvation. Maybe it's through self-actualization. If you just become better, if you just think differently about yourself, change the reality within, then you'll be the person that you should be and you'll, you will find salvation. Or any, join in with any religion. And we get to this place where we're rationalizing sin into personal preferences. And yet scripture is clear. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, as we're going to find in, in the several weeks when we get to John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way. Or let's think about another challenging topic, and that is God's sovereignty and our volition, our will. I know those are big words, but, but if, if God is sovereign, it means he rules and reigns over all things. It means he knows and even maybe ordains everything, which if we were to begin to think through all the ramifications of that, it would be scary. And we have to wrestle with, well, where does God's sovereignty end and our volition or our will begin? And what we have to recognize is that if God is sovereign, you see, part of what happens is people look at the world and the destruction. They look at, 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 the, at the floods that happen in various places. They look at the war and violence in Ukraine. They look at the trafficking that happens everywhere. They look at the addiction that we see in our culture. And they look at those things and they say, well, if God is a loving and sovereign God, then he wouldn't allow those things to happen. Scripture seems to tell us that because God is loving and sovereign, he's going to give us the direct results of our sinful actions. Our world is marred by sin. So he's going to let us deal with our, our fallenness. But he's provided a solution. And that is through Jesus Christ. And out of love, God grants us a will to choose to follow and obey him. Do we still see, you know, along with God's sovereignty, do we see, still see his goodness? And love amidst disturbing situations, the death of a loved one, a terminal illness, the prosperity of the wicked. 
God, what are you doing in all of these things? So the question is, what will we do when believing gets tough? What will we do with the life of faith when it challenges our preferences, our desires, even our temptations? Will we submit to God's ways or, or will we buckle down and hold into our own preferences and run away? And what we see in this passage that we're looking at today is that when believing gets tough, the Fairweather fans get going. Look at John 6, 61 to 66. It says, but Jesus, knowing himself. So this is right after he tells them, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you'll have eternal life. He says, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who, who did not believe and those who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless, the Father, unless it is granted him by the Father. And then after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Notice that G John uses the word disciples there. A lot of times we think disciples as being the twelve, but in this case, John is really referring to so much more. He's referring to all of those followers. It may have been a good number of the 5,000 that had just been fed that chased him around the north side of Galilee to, to come and have this conversation with him. You see, these guys had seen the signs. They were beginning to understand that Jesus was something special. But if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that they wanted a political leader. They wanted a revolutionary. They wanted a miracle worker. And they didn't realize they needed a Savior. Do we realize that we need a Savior? We can't solve our problems with the same level of thinking that we got into them with. And then Jesus even talks of his divinity in verse 62. And yet that could not assuage their question. He said, what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? You see, we could look at that in a couple of different ways. In, in John 3, verse 14, he, 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 in his conversation with Nicodemus, he told him that the Son of Man must be lifted up even as Moses raised up the serpent, and thereby when people who looked and believed would be healed in the wilderness. Then Jesus is pointing to the fact that the Son of Man will be lifted up, and for them that image was the cross, lifted up high, so everybody could see this criminal. But there's another way that Jesus seems to be addressing this, and that is referring to his ascension, referring to his divinity. John 1 tells us that Jesus came from heaven as the word of God made flesh. And Jesus frequently refers to God as his father and then performs various signs to prove his identity. And yet his audience would have seen this as blasphemous. So no matter how they view Jesus' words of ascension, if he's lifted up, then he's a criminal. If he's ascended, then he's blasphemous. So Jesus is in a no-win situation with these Fairweather fans. 
And we have to recognize that some people will always have misconceptions about anything, about Jesus, about you, about me, about the church, about Scripture. And we also have to recognize that no matter what happens, some people will just never believe. In fact, Jesus told some of his followers a a parable about this. In, in Luke chapter 16, he, he, he tells a parable about this, this man who is, this wealthy man who died and this beggar who was outside of his gate also died. And they're both in, in their respective places. And, and the, he, meaning the man, the wealthy man, called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me because he's in Hades. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, there is this great chasm which has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to and none may cross from you there to us. And he, meaning the man, said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And Jesus said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. To which... Abraham responded, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will, be, will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. As believers, we need to understand that no matter how strong our apologetics or our abilities to refute arguments, some people will never believe. Ultimately, it's their rejection of Jesus. The evidence shows that he rose from the dead. Over 500 people saw him. People touched him. People recognized he was alive for at least a month after he died and rose again. And yet some people back then and today refused to believe. We also have to recognize, even in Jesus' own words, that to some degree it's their lack of faith, it's their lack of belief. But to another extent it's God simply not choosing them to believe. Jesus says in verse 65, he says, This is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So what we need to do is faithfully witness to our friends, but fervently pray that God would draw them and they would respond. So when believing gets tough, the fair-weather followers get going. And finally, the true followers keep growing. In response to this departure, the crowd is dissipating. Jesus turns to the twelve. He turns to his, his closest followers and he says, Do you want to go away as well? Don Carson said another way of saying this would be, Surely you don't want to go, do you? He's testing their faith, but he's also inquiring about their resolve. 
To which Peter replies, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, think about this. Peter is looking at all the things that he's learned from Jesus over the last year or so. This is now the second Passover that Peter has been around Jesus. He said, well, where can we go? We have nowhere else. There is no one that teaches with the authority that you teach. There's no one that says the things that you say. Jesus, you have the words of life. Which is the second thing. You have the words of eternal life. It's not a theory with you. It's reality. It's truth. You're speaking truth. And so because of that, (laughs) Peter said, we believed. I believed. I'm with you, Jesus. Until I'm not. We've entrusted our very lives to you and are trying to align our lives with your ways. And then he concludes, we know. That you are the Holy One of God. The Jews would have called this the Messiah, the Anointed One. You're the one we've been looking for. And Peter and most of the other apostles recognize that Jesus is the way, that He is worth following. And so, beloved, do you and I have that same resolve? Do we have that same faith? Are we willing to pursue the narrow path even when everyone else around us is going another way? You see, it became difficult for Jesus' followers. It became difficult for these guys. Most of them were martyred. All while they expressed their faith in preaching with their love for the lost, even with their love for those who were hurting them, they followed Jesus to the end. But notice in Jesus' words, he seems to put it on himself. It's all about me, Jesus. I believe. I know. It's me. And Jesus says, did I not choose you, Peter? I, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was going to betray him. And there will be some who, like Judas, will talk the talk for a while. They'll wear Christian clothes. I mean, we don't have a uniform, but they'll begin to look and act and even talk like a Christian. And yet that heart transformation has truly never taken hold. So let's close, let me close with a couple of thoughts. Friend, if, you, if you're not yet a Christian... If you're not yet a follower of Christ, if you are here because it's Mother's Day and and you're being gracious to your mom or your wife, thank you for being here. But I want to ask you, what do you believe about Jesus, about God? You see, our world, our, our world is wrapped up in this sinful condition. And this morning I was asking the middle schoolers, I said, what is the gospel? Because it's something that we find everywhere in Scripture. But we were talking about 2 Corinthians. And Francis chimed up and he said, well, God made everything perfect. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not exactly quoting, but he got the gospel right. He said, I made, God made everything perfect. And then he made human beings and human beings mess things up. And because the first human beings mess things up, all human beings are messed up in sin because of that. 
And yet in love, God sent Jesus Christ to come and die on the cross in our place. So that if we would believe, that sin problem would be taken care of for eternity. And we get, as we live this transformed life, we begin to become more like Jesus through this process we call sanctification until one day he calls us home. So the question is, what have you done with Jesus? Where in, in your line of belief, in your worldview, what role does Jesus play? Is he just a good man? Or is he a savior worth following, worth giving up everything for? And I want to encourage you. Don't be a fair weather follower. Don't be someone who's just going to, I'll follow Jesus until it gets uncomfortable. Because it'll get uncomfortable tomorrow. But it'll be real uncomfortable in eternity. If you want to talk more about that, let me just encourage you to talk to someone else who's sitting in the pew next to you or behind you. Say, hey, help me understand this. How do I entrust my life to Jesus? But, beloved brother and sister in Christ, let me encourage us to be praying for our friends who don't yet believe. Praying for those ones who want to get on the Jesus bandwagon. It's a cool place to be sometimes. We need to let them see our faith in the way that we live. Which means that if we're going to truly be Jesus followers, we need to live Jesus' way. Which means letting people in our lives, warts and all, helping them, letting them see, hey, we don't have it all together. And we certainly can't hold anyone else accountable because God is the judge. We're here to show grace through hospitality. We need to let people know that God is the God of love and in His grace. As Kate described in class this morning, grace is getting what we don't deserve. The good things, right? Getting the good things we don't deserve. It is by grace you have been saved through faith and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one may boast. We can't hold people to something that they don't know. They can't live up to a standard when we know that we're all fallen short of God's glory. So, beloved, let us be hospitable and gracious to communicate our conviction with love to those around us so that they will see. And let's be in fervent prayer for those. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenges that you allow us to encounter. Thank you for those hard things. Even like with our moms and they make us do those things that we don't want to do. Lord, you cause us to encounter things that we would rather not. And yet in the midst of those, Lord, we pray that you would give us grace and strength to endure the faith to believe. Help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.